Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. We are so thankful for the love of God. If you have your Bible, uh, please open it up to John chapter 3. We're going to be talking about the great love of God here this morning. In John chapter 3, we'll begin our study there in just a moment. I want to make sure this microphone is on. I have it turned on back here. It is so great to be able to stand before you to preach the Word of God, and I'm really excited to be here. I hope and pray that you have brought your Bible. We're going to be studying from the Word of God this morning. It is great to see our new brother in Christ, Brother Nathan, and the rest of the family. May God bless you all. We have had uh, two souls saved this year, uh, those who have put on Christ in baptism, and we are so thankful. Uh, At the end of uh, the lesson, we're going to sing the song, as Richard mentioned, Why Do You Wait? And sometimes people will wait when it comes to being baptized. Sometimes people are maybe a little bit afraid to, to walk in front of over 200 people and to come forward during an invitation song. Someone asked me, do I have to be baptized on a Sunday, basically like during worship? And no, you don't have to. That You can, and we, we hope that you are or will if you are ready. Um, but any day of the week, someone can be baptized when you understand what you are doing and are ready. And that's a great song for us to think about. Why do we wait? Uh, maybe there's someone here this morning who is waiting and has been waiting for a long time. Challenge yourself with that. If you understand who Jesus is and you believe that he is the Son of God, why do you wait? Uh, it's been a great day already. We've had over 190 people for Bible class. That's fantastic. We want to teach the Bible here And we want people to learn as much about God through his word. We had a great Devo last night. I'm really impressed with our young people who are studying the scriptures, who are encouraging one another. And so let's continue to encourage our young people. John chapter 3 and verse number 16 is probably a passage that many of us are familiar with. And this morning, I want us to talk about this passage. I don't know if you see it as much anymore, uh, you know, at sporting events and things like that. But growing up, I would see it quite a bit. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's typically someone with some kind of cardboard and had it written on there. And I think that's fantastic. Share the word of God with others. You know, John 3.16 is not just a verse to, you know, to have at a sporting event. It's a verse for us to know. It's a great verse for us to share with others. We are emphasizing a great deal about evangelism, and there are so many thoughts and things to learn from this one verse. And it's a verse that will bring us great comfort. But it's also a passage that can bring about a lot of fear depending upon what you may believe. Well, this morning I want us to consider John chapter 3 and verse 16. What can we learn about Jesus and about God, and how do we need to respond to the gospel message? And what we're going to do, we're just going to take it word by word. I want you to consider some things that Jesus says here in John 3 and verse number 16. We begin with the word for. Whenever you see that word for, then we need to consider what came before what's being said. 
And what's interesting in John chapter 3, you have a conversation that's taken place. It is a spiritual conversation. It's a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And look over in John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. What's interesting is that in John 3, Jesus is going to speak to Nicodemus. In John 4, he's going to speak to a woman described as a Samaritan woman at the well. And later on, he's going to speak to a royal official at the end of John chapter 4. So you have this series of spiritual conversations that are taking place. Now, we know some things about Nicodemus, and we don't know some things about Nicodemus. In verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So what do we know? We know, number one, that he was a Pharisee. Uh, that he was a part of a particular group during the days of Israel. They had different beliefs than some of the others, like Sadducees. And if you understand who Pharisees were, they were not necessarily friends with Jesus. If you say in the context of the book, look over in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, as the days of Jesus are drawing closer to the cross, look over in John chapter 12. And I want you to consider verse number 42. This is going to show us why this conversation is so interesting. John 12, verse 42, and I love hearing pages turn. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. So the Pharisees would add pressure to those who were seeking to follow Jesus. When you go back to John chapter 3, we know that Nicodemus is going to come to Jesus at night. In John chapter 3 and verse number 2, the Bible says, This man came to Jesus by night. Now, I have had my own thoughts and ideas. Why did he come to him by night? Was he embarrassed? Was there some fear that he had because he was a Pharisee? Well, maybe, but the text doesn't say, so I can't say that with complete certainty. It may have been that maybe he came to him by night because of the schedule of Jesus. We're not for sure. But what we are for sure about is that he understands some things about Jesus. He describes him as rabbi. There is a respect that he has for Jesus. We know that you have come from God as a teacher. He describes him as uh, a teacher, that he has come from God. How does he know this? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The Gospel of John is all about signs. You have terms like signs, miracles, and wonders. And John is going to emphasize the signs of Jesus, which pointed to his identity. When you go back to John chapter 2 and verse number 23 real quickly here, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem, look over just a couple of verses, at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. And so I think that probably would include here Nicodemus, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus on his part, I love this, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. While some believed in him, Jesus ultimately knew their hearts and exactly where they were. And I think that plays into this spiritual conversation that he's going to have with Nicodemus. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Nicodemus knows some things about Jesus. Nicodemus is also on a journey. I think we could describe it as a journey of faith. He's mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. 
You may want to write these verses down next to John chapter 3. The second occasion is in John chapter 7. If you want to turn over there to John chapter 7. There is a dispute that's taken place in John chapter 7. If you begin in verse number 43. A division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priest and Pharisees, and they said to him, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Now notice the attitude of the Pharisees. Then they answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? So what are the Pharisees, what are they trying to do? They're trying to persuade people away from Jesus. You haven't been led astray by him too, right? Verse 48, no one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Now look at verse 50, Nicodemus, here he is. He who came to him before, being one of them, said to them. Now it's interesting, Nicodemus is starting to talk up a little bit more. He has this spiritual conversation, and he says, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Ridicule, ridicule there. Search and see what the, that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And so Nicodemus is beginning to speak up. In John chapter 19, we see another progression in his journey of faith. In John chapter 19, this is after... Jesus died on the cross, and his body is being prepared to be buried. Look at verse 39, please. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100 pounds weight. So isn't that interesting that now Nicodemus is helping in the burial of Jesus preparing the body of Jesus. I'm saying all of this to say that this spiritual conversation is going to go somewhere. And honestly, at the end of John chapter 3, it it just kind of ends. We don't know exactly what Nicodemus did here, but we know that he is beginning this path or this journey of faith. And aren't we all on some kind of journey where we start asking questions and we start getting curious? That's something good. But I will say this, For some reason, I've had in my mind that Nicodemus is the one that begins to ask questions. But it's actually different. He goes to Jesus, he speaks, but then Jesus just begins to speak to him. He knows the hearts of men, and so it appears that Jesus, I need to tell you this, Nicodemus, because this is where you are, and this is what you need to understand. And verse number two, Nicodemus is not asked a question. He's just making some comments right now. But Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus seems kind of blunt, just kind of forceful, where he begins talking about the kingdom of God. And this language of being born again. He's telling Nicodemus exactly what he needs to hear. If you're going to be a part of this kingdom. And the kingdom was spoken of to the Jews in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 2 foretold about another kingdom made not with the hands of men, but by God. But this kingdom, if you're going to be a part of this kingdom, you must be born again. This kingdom that Jesus speaks about in John 18 and verse 36 He describes the kingdom that he is going to establish as being spiritual in nature. It is a spiritual kingdom that he is going to establish. And it has been established, by the way. And those who wish to follow Jesus, 
must allow him to rule and reign in their hearts. The kingdom of God, if you're going to be a part of it, you have to uh, follow Jesus and allow him to rule and reign in your hearts. And since it is spiritual in nature, one must have a spiritual birth to enter it. And John speaks about this idea of those born of God, going back to John chapter 1 and verse number 12. As John was introducing Jesus and who he is, he would say in verse number 11 that Jesus, he came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so John is talking about this idea of those who wish to be a part of this kingdom. Yes, you can, but you must believe and you must respond accordingly to what Jesus has to say. So Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? How is this possible, Jesus? How is this actually going to work? Some commentaries say that Nicodemus was acknowledging that a new birth was necessary, but he was too old to change. He was set in his ways. How is this going to work? Whether that was the case or not, there is some confusion on the part of Nicodemus. In verse 5, Jesus, he doubles doubles down and answers again and gives a little bit more. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Of God, you must be born of water and spirit, and certainly this would have, um, I think, would have triggered this idea of baptism. John has been baptizing in water, and Jesus speaks about being born of water and spirit. And for those who may be new to the Bible, some who are visiting, maybe maybe you haven't read these kind of stories before. What is this idea? What does it look like to be born again? Sometimes people say, well, you, you know, you say this prayer and this is how you were born again. But the best way to show and to know how one is born again is to look in that book of Acts. The actions is really the actions of the Holy Spirit. We say the apostles and that's true, but it's really the actions of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. And if you look over in Acts chapter two, what we find, we find the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is convicting the hearts of men through the preaching of the word of God. That's what Jesus said the Spirit would do. He would convict in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And Peter is preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And men and women, their hearts are being pricked so much so that they're asking in verse 37, what shall we do? Now look at verse 38. We're going to see how individuals were born again. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus, why? For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how individuals are born again, through faith and repentance and baptism. In Colossians chapter 2, we read this in our the beginning of worship services here. Paul reminds us who's at work when this is taking place. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 11, it says, And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, it is God at work when one is baptized 
when one has their sins forgiven. Titus gives us some more commentary of this idea of being born again and what has taken place in Titus chapter 3 and verse number 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it clear how one can be born again, and Jesus is making it clear that if you're ever going to be a part of the kingdom, you must be born again. It's not something that is optional in nature. It is something that he demands. Well, Nicodemus hears all of this, and going back to John chapter 3, Jesus keeps on speaking. It's eventually just going to turn into Jesus speaking. In verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. You know, sometimes people are amazed when you teach them you must be born again, when you teach them what that entails. And Jesus said, don't be amazed at what I'm saying. You must be born again if you're going to be a part of my kingdom. The wind blows wherever it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Well, Nicodemus, he's still in shock in verse number nine. He says, how can these things be? And I love how Jesus responds. And Jesus just goes right back at him, essentially. He answered him in verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? You're Nicodemus. Aren't you part of the Sanhedrin? You're a Pharisee. And you don't understand these things that I'm trying to convey to you now. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, and I think he's talking about what he's been referring to about this idea of being born again, and and you don't believe these things, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. We see where Jesus is from, and we see his identity, that he is from above. And then he does something interesting in verse 14. He goes back to Moses. And he references an account that took place in Numbers chapter 21, where God told the people after their rebellious nature to uh, create this bronze serpent. And those who would look at this serpent, they would live, they would be delivered. That's Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What Jesus is doing here, he is comparing his death on the cross to Moses lifting up the bronze serpent. Israel had sinned, and there would be life for those who would look at that serpent. Now, they would have to respond with obedience that they were going to be delivered. And the same is being shown to Jesus and what he is going to accomplish. In fact, the Gospel of John, if you turn over to John chapter 8, please, and verse number 28, emphasizes this idea of John or Jesus being lifted up. It's speaking about his death on the cross. And if you remember, that's exactly what happened. He would be lifted up before the crowds and he would be crucified. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 28, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the father taught me. He would be lifted up. And he's certainly pointing to what is going to be accomplished in his death and certainly through his resurrection. A third time this is mentioned or used by Jesus is in John chapter 12. 
If you want to turn over there, please. John chapter 12 and verse number 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And so Jesus, in this conversation back in John chapter 3, is emphasizing life through him, spiritual birth, being born again, being a part of this kingdom that he is going to establish. And it's all of this that leads up to John 3 and verse 16. He said in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. This had to happen. Otherwise, we would not be delivered from our sin. So that whoever believes, in verse 15, this book is about belief. These books were written, they had an occasion behind them, and the emphasis of this book is belief in Christ. So that whoever believes, in verse 15, will in him have eternal life. If you want eternal life, and that's my prayer for all of us, There's only one source, and that is Jesus Christ. And all of that leads now to John 3 and verse 16. Took the long path, 4. But notice what is said next, for God. God is referring here to to the Father. And and what's going to be emphasized here is, is God and what God has done. There's only one true living God. And when you start considering the things that are said here, we need to understand that God is real. God exists. In the beginning was, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible makes this very clear in Psalm 90 and verse number two. We won't read that, but God is described as being everlasting to everlasting. It was a prophet in Isaiah chapter 43 that spoke and we see the words of God in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 10 where he said, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. God, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, when he spoke to Moses, in Exodus 3 and verse 14, when Moses had doubts, God would tell him, This is what you say to the people. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It is God who is a self-existing one. And God is the one that we're going to see who has done some great and precious things for mankind. The text says God for God. What's it say next? For God so loved the world. So we learn something else about God, don't we? We learn that God, who is he? God is love. For God so loved the world. We sang a song about that just a few minutes ago. He so loved the world. John emphasizes this in his writings. In 1 John 4 and verse number 8, he describes God. He says, God is love. And because God is love, we should respond to his message. Who does he love? He loves the world. That's everybody. And that may be a, yeah, we know this kind of moment, but we live in a world where a lot of people don't love everybody. We live in a world where people only love those who will love them back. But the God that we're talking about here 
is gracious and merciful even to those who are ungrateful to him. That's what we see in Luke chapter 6. God loves everyone, and this is a, a sneak preview that even Gentiles who the Jews rejected could be a part of this kingdom of God. For God so loved the world. His love for us is deep, more than we can truly ever imagine. He loves everyone, not a select few, not only the rich, not a particular race, but everyone. And he loves the world so much, despite the fact that we have sinned. And there is a problem for all of us in the world. That's why Jesus is going to come. It is sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Mankind has rebelled against God. And this love was needed to deliver us from our sin. For God so loved the world. How do we know that God loves us? How can we put aside any question, any doubt about the love of God? It's because he's demonstrated it. He gave. And he gave the very best. There's no question. You ever have to wonder, does God truly love me? Every good and perfect gift is from above. James chapter 1 and verse 17. And it was God who gave his son. When you go back to John chapter 1, will you read that with me, please? We see what, what God was going to do and what he did do. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was that perfect gift, and he would be the perfect sacrifice. And God loves us so much that even when we were lost in our sins, he sent his son. Will you read with me Romans chapter 5, please? In Romans chapter 5, we see just how, how lost we truly were. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, and this is why this passage is so important. There are people who are searching, and there are people who are looking, uh, who don't have hope, who are in need of salvation. You need to know this. You need to know the problem of sin. We need to talk about sin. And sin is not always necessarily preached, but we have to talk about it. We have this great gift because we have a great problem, and that is the problem of sin. For while, Romans 5 verse 6, while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. Maybe someone will die. But here again, what do we see? We see the great love of God and the great love of Christ. But God, verse 8, demonstrates his own love toward us. Not only is he love, but he put it into action where we can see, I know that God loves me because I know that he allowed his son to be lifted up on the cross and he demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is an amazing gift. And it's a gift that everyone needs. It's a gift that God has given And it's a gift that we have to respond to. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This language is used going back to John chapter 1. Will you turn there? In John chapter 1 and verse 18, this idea of the only begotten son. It's used a few times in John chapter 1 
And beginning in verse number 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see it in John 3 and verse 16, where we just read. Now look at verse number 18. In John chapter 3 and verse number 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And we're not going to read it, but you can write down 1 John 4 and verse 9 if you like. John mentions it there in his letter there. In the margin of my Bible, this idea of uh, begotten, it's the idea of unique or only one of his kind. The one and only Son, as some translations will say. He sent his only begotten Son. And I love what John does because in John chapter 1, in the context of the book, He shows us Jesus and how amazing Jesus is and who Jesus is. Look at verse number one. In the beginning was the word. This is speaking about Jesus. And the word was with God, next to God, with God, in heaven, in the beginning. And the word was God. What do we know about Jesus? He is unique and kind. He is God. And he became flesh in verse 14. He was in the beginning with God in verse 2. All things came into being through him. He is part of the creation that took place. He created those things in the beginning with the Father. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Think about the bronze serpent that's being raised up. Those who looked upon it in the Old Testament, they would live. And life, eternal life, is only found in Jesus If you want to live, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to spend eternity with God, it will only come through Jesus Christ. In him was life. And just like in the beginning when everything was dark, God said, let there be light. And here in John chapter 1, we have the same thing. The world was dark and full of sin, but the light came into the world. Who is Jesus? He is the word. He is the light. He is the creator. In John chapter 1 and verse number 29, John the Baptist cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one by which our sins can be forgiven. He is the only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, there's that word whoever again, This is for everyone. All are welcome in the kingdom of God. Those who are willing to submit to the king. Those who are willing to believe in the king. But it is a choice. No one is going to force you to follow Jesus. But if you decide to, you can. If you're willing to do what the Lord and the master has to say. It is for all. Our memory verse for our young people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And what a blessing that is. Salvation is not only for a select or for a few. It's not only for a particular race. It's for everybody. But there is a response that's required, and that's belief. That's faith. You must believe. Look over in John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31. Look how John ends his book. This is the the reason for this book. There's actually another chapter, but towards the end here in chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, he's talking about belief. 
Thomas didn't believe that he was risen. He said, unless I touch, touch his side and see him, I will not believe. Jesus said to him in verse 29 of John chapter 20, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those, or blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written. If something has been written, that's what you need to know. When Jesus or the Father gives us something that is written, we better be reading it. Don't worry about other questions that are in secret. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but focus on the things that have been written. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life, there it is, in his name. Life in his name. He's not dead. He reigns in heaven. So when you go back to John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, which means that salvation is found only in him, and we need to believe who he is. The book and the miracles in this book are so that we can believe. And belief encompasses the facts, repentance, allegiance, and obedience to the only begotten Son. I love how the end of John chapter 3 in the New American Standard and verse 36, John chapter 3 and verse 36, the Bible says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, this belief encompasses all of these things, repentance and allegiance. If we're going to be a disciple of God and be born again, that requires that we pledge our allegiance to Christ, that we are committed to Christ, that we keep his commandments, whoever believes in him. The Bible says, will not perish. What these words are showing us here is that it is possible for someone to perish. And this is not just talking about someone who's going to die and fall asleep, but those who are going to be eternally separated from God. You see, God and Jesus, Jesus in his ministry, he talked about heaven and hell. In fact, in Luke chapter 13, he uses this same kind of language. Turn over here. We'll get out of John real quickly. But in Luke chapter 13, a question arose. And Jesus, he's blunt with the people here as well. And they're asking him about suffering and what Pilate had done and those who had died at his hands. But Jesus does something here. He says, I tell you no. And they're asking him, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners in Luke 13 verse 2 than the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He does it again in verse 5. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It is possible to be lost, to be separated, to spend eternity in hell. And as our brother Heath Rogers so said in his sermon in the last gospel meeting, there is no mercy in hell. There is no mercy. So now is the side where we have mercy. In John chapter 5, Jesus speaks about there's coming a day that's going to be amazing. All of us are going to experience. You cannot hide from this day. You cannot reject this day. You cannot say, well, maybe I'm agnostic. I just don't believe that's going to happen. You're going to experience it. In John chapter 5 and verse number 28, Jesus said, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. 
those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. That day is coming. And none of us will be able to hide or ignore it. Which means we better be prepared for it. That day is coming. And here's the good news. Whoever believes in him, you're ready. Because you shall not perish. John chapter 10, in the same context of the book. Turn over to John chapter 10. In the same context of the book, as Jesus talked about being the good shepherd. And being the door, he would also remind the people, those who are in him have eternal life. His sheep have eternal life. In John 10 and verse 25, he said, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. These testify of me. But do you not believe because you are not of my sheep? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. If you're his sheep, if you're born again, you're going to hear his voice. And they follow me. That's what people who are born again do. They follow Jesus. They hear his voice. They keep his commandments. And Jesus said in verse 28, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's confidence right there. But we have to remain with him to have this confidence, to continue to be with him. Jesus would say in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by or through me. But the reality of perishing is reason for us to listen and to believe. Those who believe in him will not perish, but we have to remain with him if that is going to be a reality. They will not perish, but rather have eternal life. But that's for those who believe in him. Those who do not believe in him, they will perish. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. You see that? And that's what Jesus is hoping us to see. But those who do believe will not perish, but have eternal life. Spending eternity with Jesus in heaven is possible. And sometimes we may wonder, can I really go to heaven? Is that really possible for me? It is. But you must believe. You see, it's a reward for everyone, but it's only found in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the one that has gone before us to prepare a place for his disciples. But how do we receive all of this? Well, John chapter 3 helps us to see it. Verse 16 helps us to see it. We have to believe. We must respond to the good news of Jesus. We saw in the book of Acts how people were born again. Through faith, repentance, and baptism. And this verse, we need to memorize this verse. We need to know this verse. We need to hold on to this verse. And we need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he is from above and not from below? Have you considered his miracles like Nicodemus did? How much are you willing to get close to Jesus? How far are you willing to go? Nicodemus went in the middle of the night. People would always go after Jesus just trying to touch the cloak of his garments. What are you willing to do to be close to Jesus? And do you recognize you're lost in your sins? You see, if you don't believe in him, if you're not in Christ, you are lost. And you will perish and you are separated from where salvation is found. 
But the good news is that you can be saved if you're willing to believe in him. And that belief encompasses repentance, trust, commitment, obedience. It's all in there. It's a package. We have to make sure that we do truly believe. Because if you truly believe, you'll be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he who does not believe, you're never going to think about being baptized. Why would you? Because you don't believe there's anything significant in it. You don't believe in the blood of Jesus and what it entails and what it can do for you. Do you know God's love? He's shown it to the entire world. Now you need to believe it. The story of Nicodemus, it kind of ends. What's your story? Or you can make that story, or you can decide what your story is going to be right now. Believe in Jesus Christ. Not because I say so, but because the Holy Spirit has given us these words to believe that he is. And that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I will ask you, why do you wait? Why do you wait? Are you afraid of water? We won't drown you if we baptize you, all right? I promise you. Some people are afraid of water sometimes. Are you afraid that, well, if I get baptized, I'm going to make a mistake, and I, you know what's going to happen after that? Well, you need the blood of Jesus because we are going to come short of the glory of God, and we can be forgiven again through his blood. Well, I don't know if I'm baptized, and what does that say about my mom and dad who have not been baptized? Well, you leave that in the hands of God. You not obeying the gospel and the truth does not going to change anything for them. You will stand before God and give an account of your deeds and actions and decisions and faith. You need to be right with God. Well, I'm afraid to walk up in front of 200 people during this song. All right. Well, talk to me. Talk to someone here. We'll baptize you later on. But this is not something just to sit sit on for a long period of time. Yes, I want you to examine the evidence and consider. But sometimes we can wait so long that we can convince ourselves out of something we need to do. And life doesn't play around like that. We shouldn't either. Why do you wait? Now is the day of salvation. If you need to be saved, let me know. Let one of us know here. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's trust in what the Bible has to say. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are in the need or looking for more motivation in your life, feel free to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog where you can find hundreds of encouraging, motivational blog posts on a variety of subjects. You can find all of my books, which can also be found on Amazon.com and other podcast interviews with a variety of people. I hope this helps. Please leave me a rating and a review. I can do, and so can you. Take care, and God bless.